0: I love this passage that we're looking at this morning. Look, at verse 24, Paul specifically states it. He said, in verse 24, he says, this is an allegory. This is an allegory. That means this is a real-world event that the apostle Paul is using to teach a spiritual truth. It's like an analogy. It's like an illustration. So it's kind of like this morning. We're doing a Bible study inside the Bible study because Paul is doing a Bible study with the Galatians based on Genesis, and now we're studying Galatians where they studied the book of Genesis, how cool is that? And it's two paths. One leads to freedom, one leads to bondage. And my question for you this morning is, make a decision. What path will you follow? Make a decision. Decide this morning in your heart, what path am I going to follow? What path am I going to aim my life towards? Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word as we go through it verse by verse. Lord, um, encourage us, strengthen us. Open our hearts, open our minds, and let this be real. Let this be transparent. Let this penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? I love Paul's attitude. I love Paul's attitude. See, the, uh, the Judaizers wanted the churches in the Galatian region to become legalist. Okay, you can believe in Jesus, but you also got to follow the law in order to be saved. And Paul is saying here in this opening verse, do you not realize what you're saying? Do you not, do you not realize, hello, McFly, your shoe's untied. This is, this is not good. Tell me, you who want to be in the law, do you not listen to the law? Have you not read the law? Do you know how the law, it, it was made to show a person their need for Jesus the the Mosaic law the Ten Commandments was made to show me why Jesus died on the cross because I have broken his law and it points me to Calvary It it points us to Calvary but they the Judaizers were insisting that in order to be saved you got to follow the Mosaic law also and that was where they went wrong are you kidding me? Is what he's thinking. So, verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the freedwoman. So, Abraham, it says, the scripture says, Abraham had two sons. So, Paul is now going to take the churches at the Galatian region that he's writing to, he's going to take them back to Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, Abraham uh, is given a promise. Let's read it. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, no one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. So the first thing that Paul is pointing them to is Genesis chapter 15 and the promise from God to Abraham that I am going to give you a son. And this son is going to be part of the covenant. This son is going to be part of the promise, the hope. This is the beginning of God's plan of redemption. Fast forward. One chapter next. Things aren't going so well. There's a lapse of faith, I guess you could call it. In Genesis chapter 16, we see the situation where uh, they're not trusting in the promise. Genesis 16, verses 1 through 3, says this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham, Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. That is where they went wrong. Abraham and Sarah, instead of trusting in the promises of God, they took, they took it in their own hands. They, they said, I'm going to take control of the situation. And then later on, that same chapter, verse 15, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram called the name of his son whom he, who Hagar bore, Ishmael. They did not see the promise materializing. They didn't see it. They had this promise, but it wasn't happening. So what do they do? The exact same thing that me and you do. Unfortunately, they took matters into their own hands. And and, and so um, Ishmael, was born. But how many of y'all know, and I'm gonna hear, I hope, I hear, hope you hear a lot of amens, is God faithful? Amen. Amen. God is faithful. God is very faithful to us. Despite our situations, despite our circumstances, despite what's going on with your family, despite what's going on with your job, despite whatever is happening in your physical realm, God is always faithful. Genesis chapter 21, almost five chapters later, um, 21 verses 1 through 3, says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. God provided his promise. He was faithful. Despite their wiggle worm going left and right, going all over the place and being scatterbrained, God was faithful. And God is always faithful. Amen. Okay, so that I just presented to you from Genesis is the backdrop behind what the Apostle Paul is teaching here in Galatians chapter 4. So now let's go back and look at verse 23 in our text. Um, Verse 23, Galatians chapter 4. But the son, talking about Ishmael, by the bondwoman, talking about Hagar, was born according to the flesh. And the son, talking about Isaac, by the free woman, Sarah, through the promise. Through the promise. Ishmael was a, was a product of um, self-reliance. Ishmael was a product of them turning to their flesh. And that's what happens when we take matters in our own hands. We operate according to the flesh. And it's so tempting. Man, you know what? I'll be honest. Man, there's so many times in my life where I know God's promise, but in my flesh, in that fight I'm in, I turn to my flesh. And I take matters into my own hand. And I always go back to this. I wish I would have trusted in the Lord in this area. I wish I would have just rested in him. I wish I would have just waited upon him. Because he shows me later on down the road, that he shows me my mistake. And he shows me how I should have trusted in him. But Ishmael is a product of self-reliance. He turned to the flesh. Isaac, on the other hand, is God's perfect provision. God's perfect provision. The Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly light, whom there is no shadow or turning. Isaac, back in Genesis, was um, God's promise fulfilled. It was God's promise fulfilled. The question I present to you this morning is, what path will you travel? What path will you travel? That's the decision every single person has to make on their own. That's in your heart between you and God. What path will you travel on? And I'm not talking about going down St. Andrew's Road. I'm talking about in your spiritual journey with God. What what path? Will you trust in your flesh? Will you say, I will make this happen? This is going to go down the way I want it? Or will we trust in the promises of God? Will we rest? Will we let our hearts and our minds rest in his faithfulness, in his sovereignty, in his omnipotence, in all his wonderful and, and, and beautiful attributes? Things take place in our life according to the flesh. Number one, when we move forward without God. Number one, when we move forward without the Lord, when we move forward without him in our lives, when we take matters into our own hands, uh, that is acting according to the flesh. There's nothing in your life that will take place. There's no major decision in life that you will ever face that you can't take to him first. And I am learning. I've learned from the school of hard knocks. I have learned so many, many, many times. of of, of making decisions on my own without prayer is not a good decision. It's not a good choice for the man of the house. Even the man of the house should go to God in prayer for every decision, financial decision, family decision, um, you name it, every little area where uh, young people going off to college, before you make a decision on where you're going to go to college, pray about it. Before you make a decision on what you want to do in life, whether it's be a firefighter or an airline pilot, pray about it. Seek the Lord. Let him. Don't take matters uh, according to the flesh. Number two, things take place in our life according to the flesh when we don't seek his face. When we don't seek his face. What are you talking about, Pastor David? I'm talking about what I just mentioned briefly, which is prayer. Which is prayer. You know, we gotta pray. The more we pray, the more we're in line with heaven the more we're trusting in him and the more we hear his voice as he speaks to our heart by his Holy Spirit or by his word, the more we're in communication with him, the more less likely we are to operate in the flesh. Amen? Amen. Number three, thank you. Um, The third thing that takes place in our life when we live according to the flesh um, is we don't follow his word. It goes both ways. When we don't follow his word, we operate in the flesh. And when we operate in the flesh, we find ourselves not following God's word. God has given us his word. And we need to carve out, you choose the time, but whether it be morning, afternoon, evening, you need to carve out a daily time where you spend time in God's word. You say, Lord, speak to me. Open, up your, open, you open his word you pick the book, you pick the chapter, study it, and say, Lord, speak to me. Reveal to me where I am to go. There's so many times where um, I've needed a big answer, I couldn't find it, I didn't go to the Bible. And then later on in life, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have read this verse back then, because that spoke, that would have spoken directly to my situation. But those are the, the things that take place in our life when we act according to the flesh. But let's look at the flip side of that. When we trust in the promises of God, what takes place when we trust in the promises of God? When we say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. And what you say here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, or whatever verse, I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to rest in it. Number one, you're exercising faith. And how many know faith is an important part of the Christian faith? It's part of the Christian walk, better yet. But we need to exercise faith. We need to step out into the unknown, knowing that we have God's word, and trust and have faith. And say, Lord, I'm not sure where you're taking me. I can't see it very clearly, but I'm in your word and I'm stepping forward and I'm stepping out. And I'm going to exercise faith because I trust in your promises. Number two, when we trust in God's promises, there's people all around looking. People see you from all walks of life at work, at home, at family. But number two is when we when, when, when we trust in the promises of God, we proclaim to the world this: God is faithful. God is faithful. That's our witness to the world. When times get shaky, and times get rough and there's sicknesses in the family, there's tragedies in the family, and things are going south, we just got to stand firm and say, God, I rest in your promises, I trust in you. And not only because we're exercising faith, but because of number two, it's our witness to the world of our faithful God, the Creator. And finally, number three, when we trust in the, God's promises, when we, when we look to the word and we, and we trust in the promises, it reorients our hearts, and it keeps our eyes on Jesus Christ. It keeps our eyes on Jesus Christ. I think it's Hebrews uh, twelve two, 2. Um, but it says, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But that's what being in the word and trusting in these promises does, is it reorients our hearts to keep us focused on the Lord. Amen? So you have two, two you have Hagar, and you have Sarah, one represents the promise, one represents faith, the upper rep- other represents flesh and, and acting according to the flesh. Verse 24, it says, uh, Paul states it very specifically here, this is an allegory speaking. A lot of people try to allegorize the Bible. We don't allegorize the Bible. We, we allegorize scripture where it says to allegorize scripture. And what I mean by that is a parable. Jesus is taking Uh, an illustration in the real world to speak a spiritual truth, the same thing he's doing here. So with him saying it's an allegory, then we look for the spiritual meaning behind the situation that, that Paul is presenting, which is the story of Hagar and Sarah. But he says, this is an allegory speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar, The women, as the text says, represents two covenants, grace and law, grace and law, the Old Testament Mosaic law versus the covenant of grace, and he starts off with Hagar, Hagar represents the law. What was the primary purpose of the law? What was the number one purpose of the law? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It was in Galatians um, 3.19. It was added. It says, it says the law, the Mosaic law was added because of transgressions. It was added because of sin. It was meant to orient the Israelites to look to the future Messiah. from whence they developed the sacrifice systems in the tabernacle and the temple. But it was made to point people to Christ. The, the law, now, there's, I'm talking about the moral law. I'm, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments right now because that's what we see mentioned and talked about in the New Testament. The moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, was uh, never a way of righteousness. It was never a way of righteousness. It was uh, simply to point people to the Savior. What, what is sin? People talk about sin as the, they talk about the bow and arrow, and you're missing the mark. I'm totally cool with that. I like it. I'm down with it. I, I, be, I believe it is missing the mark. Amen and amen. But the Bible gives us a more specific definition of, of what sin is. 1 John 3, 4 says sin is transgression of the law. It's breaking God's moral law. So the law was meant to show people what sin is and their need for the Savior. That's what the law was. But people twisted it and said, no, me and my flesh conforming myself to the laws and the laws alone, no grace, no Jesus, just the law, I'm going to make myself right with God. And by doing that, Paul indicates that you're acting according to the flesh. And what's really interesting here is in verse 24 is who is, uh, it, says, it says in the text, Hagar's children are slaves. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, who was Hagar's son? Ishmael. It, was, it, says, it says there, it says, Hagar's um, bearing children who are to be slaves, she is Hagar. If you go back to Genesis, her son is Ishmael. It would be Ishmael and his descendants. But that's not what Paul is saying. Look at the very next verse. Look at the very next verse. This is a stinging rebuke To the Judaizers who were trying to uh, manipulate the churches in Galatia. Look at verse 25. Now, Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And here it is. Corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. This, my friend, was a stinging rebuke to the Judaizers. No, it's not those people far off on the other side of the Jordan River. Paul says, no, it's you people here. It's you people here in Jerusalem. See, legalism was imposed by the Pharisees. It was imposed by the Pharisees because it was like an outer way. It was a holier-than-thou. Look at me on the outside. Look at my robes. Look at my hair. Look at my beard. Look at me. It's all about me. It's all about I. It's all about number one. That is what they were saying. I'm holy apart from grace. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27. He says this. When, when, if you ever want to study a very harsh Thorough rebuke by Jesus, study Matthew chapter 23. But Matthew 23, 27, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and are uncleanness. Wow. God cares about the heart. Because it's in the heart is where grace works. It's in the heart where Holy, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. It's in our heart where we exercise faith in our relationship with God. It's in your heart where you go deeper with the things of God. It's in your prayer closet, in your prayer room, you and you alone, nobody else, that you get on your face and you spend time in the Word and you spend time in prayer and you don't walk out of that closet with a new robe on, or some outer appearance. You leave that prayer closet with a changed heart, with a changed heart by His, by His Holy Spirit. I believe also, what's interesting when you compare verses twenty four, and excuse me, when you compare verses twenty five and twenty six, you see a, you see a contrast here. You see a contrast between um, earthly and heavenly. Because in verse 26, he's going to say the Jerusalem above, which is free, she is our mother. But verse 25, also believe there's a second application, there's a second principle here in verse 25. And the second application is this. Not only is Paul making reference to the um, Jerusalem Judaizers who are putting people under the law, but I think he's also talking about the whole entire planet. I think he's talking about the whole entire world. I think it's, it's very applicable. It, 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 I don't think it is applicable today. The, the whole entire world is enslaved under God's moral law. Apart from Christ, they're guilty of breaking God's commandments. Romans 3.23 says, what is it, most of you know it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken God's law, and we're all under that judgment until we put our faith in Christ, and then we're free. We're spiritually, we're free, because we're living in the promise. We're walking by faith. We're living by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So verse 25, I believe Paul has in mind here the, um, the, the legalism that was currently taking place in Jerusalem. But I also believe he has in mind, based on what we learn and see in Romans, that he's talking about the entire world. The, the, the entire world is, under, is ens- enslaved, and that's why Christ came to set us free from the slavery. But let's look at verse 26. So, 24 and 25, we saw Hagar. We saw the condemnation. We saw the judgment. We, we saw operating in the flesh, operating under the law. No mention of grace or the Spirit. Now, let's look at the heavenly side. This is the side where God wants you. Verse 26 But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Now, he doesn't say it in the verse, but in verse 26, he is implying, in this comparison and contrast, that he's implying Sarah as, as the mother. And Sarah represents the promise and freedom. Represents the promise and freedom. There is freedom in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you are... Uh, you are, are, are free spiritually from the condemnation of the law. You're free because you have his Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And you are given spiritual freedom that you will find in no place else. Uh, it says, but the Jerusalem above is free. I'll, 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 when I saw that verse, I was like, this is what it came to my mind. There is no freedom on earth. There is, there is no freedom in no earthly religions or no earthly plans, or anything that you can find on this earth. There, uh, the, um, there's no freedom in our government. We're, we're not going to, excuse me, we're not going to find freedom in our government. We're not going to find freedom in who the president is. We're not going to find freedom in how much money we have in our checking account. We're not going to find freedom, spiritual freedom, heart freedom, mental freedom, in anything in this world. Except by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Except by faith. You want freedom? I, I love this. It, uh, but the Jerusalem above, Jesus said in John chapter 14, not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the third heaven that he was called away to. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 talks about uh, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Our freedom is in this place above called the third heaven. The scripture teaches there's the first heaven, the atmosphere around the earth, the second heaven, that's the universe, is endless in every direction, and then there's this place called the third heaven, the holy city, the new Jerusalem that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14. And in that city is where our freedom is found, and our freedom is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? Our freedom is the Lord Jesus Christ. You want freedom? You're here, and maybe you're in bondage uh, to legalism. Maybe you're in bondage to um, sexual immorality. Maybe you're in bondage to pornography. Maybe you're in bondage to drugs, to alcohol, to prescriptions, to doing things you have no business doing. My friend, your freedom will be found by pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in, in, the, um, in the Jerusalem that is above. That is where your spiritual freedom is found. Now, God wants to work this freedom in you and you live out um, his plan for your life, whether it be a plumber or an astronaut or a doctor or a lawyer and do those things. But he wants to work this in your heart so that you carry this spiritual journey wherever you go in life. Wherever, wherever, whatever Take it with you. And you have to take it with you because it's inside you. It's inside you. But he will give you freedom. But the, but the call of the gospel is this. It's simply this. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must receive a new heart. David, how do I receive a new heart? By repentance and faith. You say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I've rebelled against you. I've broken your law, broken your commandments. And you do a U-turn for Jesus, and you put your faith in Him. And Lord, come into my life. I receive You as my Lord and Savior. And He will begin to work freedom into you. I guarantee it. But you got to take it by. But you got to take it. But you got to take it by the reins. You got to take it by the horns. You got to say, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. I'm focused, and and I want this. Man, I was. I'm I'm not going to say it from the pulpit, but man, I was enslaved. I had handcuffs. I had things in my life that I would already come to the conclusion, this is probably going to kill me because I couldn't break free from it. This will probably be why I die one day, because of the thing that held me in shackles. We all have those things in our life, but I remember mine. I, I, I just could not break free. I just couldn't until I sought him, until I said, you know what? I'm going full steam ahead with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him. And today, that thing that once held me, I broke free. I broke free. And I I praise the Lord for that. It's been been almost 10 years. And I praise the Lord for breaking that chain. He's a chain breaker. He did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. Um, This is a quote not from Genesis. This is actually from Isaiah 54.1 when um, the Israelites were in in Babylonian captivity. And um, and, and the picture is, the best way to describe it, Paul takes this quote from Isaiah 54.1, talks about Jerusalem captivity, and he's applying it to Sarah. So here's my shot at it. My shot is, uh, is this. God was saying to Sarah, I made a promise. Wait. Rest. You don't see it coming. It hasn't given birth yet, but wait, up, wait on me. What does the Bible say? Wait upon the Lord. You know, Wait upon the Lord and wait upon his promises, the things that he's promised you, and the things that he's shown you. Wait upon the Lord and wait upon his promises. Promises just like a, a mother waits for her child. Um, verse 28 And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. This means when we follow the promises of God, we're partakers of what comes with the promise. We're, we're partakers of grace, we're partakers of God's amazing grace, we're partakers of His Spirit dwelling in us, and ultimately. Where Paul is going, remember the verse I talked about at the very beginning? Ultimately, the promise leads to freedom, spiritual freedom. And I can't talk about spiritual freedom because that's primary, but it can be physical too. It can be physical. He can can break the chains of our physical addictions. Because their root of, of physical addictions and physical issues always begins in the heart. It always begins in the heart. Everything centers in the heart. Whatever is taking place in your heart is is manifesting its way out in the way you live. And it starts with the heart. And he can bring you freedom there. When we, like Isaac, are children of promise. And you become a children of the promise by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 29. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh... Ishmael persecuted him who was boarding according to the Spirit, Isaac. So it is now also. Let me just say this on this verse Legalism hates freedom. Legalism hates freedom. The religious institution, throughout all time, for the past 2,000 years, has hated the body of Christ because of the freedom. The religious institution tries to impose rules and regulations. The religious institution tries to mix politics and, and church. The religious institution wants to talk about everything except for the most important things, like the Holy Spirit and grace. You know, we should be addressing uh, social issues, and we should be involved in helping our culture get things right. But at the center of our desire and the center of our mission in helping the causes in our culture should be the gospel. It should be the gospel. We we help those in need. We help those that are hurting, but we do it with a gospel-centered mission. We ultimately want to help you do better in life, get set free from life, make better decisions in life, rehabilitate people in life, with the ultimate goal of bringing you to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and letting you know that he can do it. But the, but the religious, it says here, um, uh, but at the time who was born according to the flesh, it says it persecuted him. We see the one under the law, the one under rituals and legalism, persecuting the one that's under, uh, under the freedom. I think they're just jealous. They just don't like it. Because they see us walking in grace. They see us walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They see us living out this Christ-centered, beautiful life. They don't like that. That's what God's promise is to us. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman you can't have it both ways they Isaac and Ishmael could not be in the same room they could not live together one was legalism one was grace one was condemnation one was freedom you're either one or the other you you live under grace or you're a legalist choose to live under grace choose to live by the grace of God and and, in verse 31 so then brethren we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. I love that. He says, so then, brethren. There's a term of endearment there. There's a term of endearment of him addressing these believers at Galatia, saying, brothers, I know that you believe in Jesus. I know, because I came to Iconium. I came to Lystra. I came to Derby, I came to Antioch. I established the gospel, and I know what you're founded on. I know what you're found on. And you, my friend, were of the free woman. That's what it is. The the, the free woman, Sarah, is talking about that believer in Jesus Christ who has the freedom. And then finally, um, um, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The Galatians were like you and I on Monday night. Got the remote control in your hand. You're watching Fox News, and you flip it over to CNN. Fox News, CNN. You're hearing two separate stories. Which one are you going to fall under? God presents to you this morning, what path? What path will your spiritual journey be on? The path on the right is the path that believers in Jesus follow. We trust, number one, we trust in the promises of God. We trust on what is written in his word. Number two, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you on that immaterial part of you. Praise the Lord for that, man. I don't make myself holy. He does. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Heavenly. Our ultimate focus is on heaven. You know, I want to, man, praise God. My goal right now, I'm planning for 100 years old. I want to see my great, great, great grandchildren sitting on my lap on the front porch. And I hope to live a long life. And I have lots of plans and lots of things I want to do in my life. But ultimately, the scripture says that I'm not guaranteed that. So when I weigh the balance, I think about how long I'm going to be gone for when I leave this life. Forever. I'm heavenly minded. And I take that heavenly minded and live my life to the fullest here on earth with my family and the things I choose to do. Next one, grace. Grace. The book of Galatians has been called the gospel of grace, a defense of grace. This is where God wants you. He wants you walking in grace. And I believe that when you add all those up and you live according to to what it says and you experience in your life, the end goal is, At the bottom is freedom. It's freedom. That's where he wants you to go. The other side, Hagar, you want to, I put law, you could put the word legalist in there. You want to live legalistic? You want to judge your relationship with God based on what you look like on the outside? Wrong answer. God looks at the heart. Check out Matthew 23. We live according to the flesh. Man, this flesh, man, it ain't done nothing but get me in trouble. You know? And I can't live by it. This flesh before I came to Christ, man, I lived, drank, ate, sin. It it just that was my passion because I was in my flesh. Now I have a new heart, new desires. Earthly, you know, we need to be heavenly minded. Condemnation, Romans 8:1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bondage. That's what that path will lead you to. It'll lead you to bondage. You know, am I right with God? Am I doing this right? It'll it'll lead you to bondage mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Choose the path of Sarah. Choose the path of God's promise. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for what we've seen in your word this morning. Lord, I pray for those who this message has touched, that, Lord, you'll lead them down that path of the promise. I pray, Lord, they'll see Christianity in a whole new light and following you in a whole new light. That you came to restore us, to redeem us, to heal us, God, to, to set our foot on solid ground. And, God, if, we, if, we, if there's people here that's found themselves walking under the precepts of Hagar and the law, I pray, Lord, that they will see your grace and your love and your truth this morning. Lord, we love you and we praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.